Welcome to Ludicrously Specific, the internet-based audio podcast about feature-length motion pictures. I'm Doug. I'm the geek with the American-sounding voice. I'm Darren, the geek with the English-sounding voice who's actually born in New Zealand. And I'm Steve, the geek with the New Zealand-sounding voice born in New Zealand. And we all live in New Zealand, despite those voices. (laughs) Uh, And we're recording right now at Skeet's house in Auckland, and... uh, We are going to, in each episode, focus on a very specific topic and find three movies that possibly nobody in their right minds has talked about in the same breath or... Watched in the same evening. Or or bothered to (laughs) talk about in the last several decades. Or even breathe near. Yes. (laughs) And you want to go over what the uh, criteria were. The criteria tonight is the ninth movie in a film franchise that's a spy film filmed in London. That's pretty narrow. <laughs> would you think these films would have anything else in common? Uh, well, you wouldn't think so, but apparently quite a few things. And belly dancing was not one of the things I thought of. <laughs> so, or things stuffed in cigarettes. But we'll get to that. We'll get to that. Belly dancers, so. <laughs> yes, so our uh, first film, the uh, easiest thing if you're looking for a spy franchise, is uh, the James Bond film, The Man with the Golden Gun, which... Uh, Came out in 1974. Uh, the James Bond series, of course, started in 1962 with Dr. No. So at this point, you're nine films in, 12 years in. You've exhausted most of the Ian Fleming novels. What you're left with is the one that he wrote a first draft of before he died. And it got published. <laughs> um, I should note that that ninth figure ignores uh, 1967's Casino Royale, but to be fair, literally everybody ignores 1967's Casino Royale, a film with no less than six directors. Um, The original novel was set in Jamaica, but um, perhaps because the eighth film in the series, Live and Let Die, exhausted um, that vein of racism, they decided to move it to Asia instead. (laughs) And uh, either either that or to cash in on the popularity of Bruce Lee films, and uh, the action takes place apart from London in a uh, Hong Kong, Macau, Bangkok, and quote-unquote Beirut. Uh, <laughs> and it's the fourth film in the series to be directed by Guy Hamilton after uh, Goldfinger, and then he left for a while, and then he came back and did three in a row, the final Sean Connery film, Diamonds Are Forever, uh, oh, excuse me, and then there was Honor Majesty's Secret Service, and then there was Live and Let Die. Did I get that right? Uh, yes, I think, I think yeah, Live and so. Let Die was... Yeah, yeah, Live and Let Die, which mm-hmm. is the first Bond uh, the first, film first with Roger Moore, Moore yeah. and who's Bond number three. And uh, and then we have Man with the Golden Gun. Of those four films, it's the only James Bond film that Guy Hamilton has gone on record as regretting directing. Yeah, and I think we regret watching it as well. <laughs> so, I mean, watching it again, because I have seen this movie and not for a long time, and it was about 20 minutes in when I realized... There's a reason I didn't go back and watch this one again. Yeah, I think I watched it when I was eight or something, but I, I just have this memory of having watched all the Bond films and they kind of blending together. Um, and I don't know how this blended with anything else because it's just... <laughs> it, it, it's a pretty specific brand of yeah. uh, awkward and not so good. Had you seen it before, Darren? I'd seen it quite a few times before. I'm, I'm a true dyed-in-the-wool Bond fan. That's always been one of the least... Bond films for me, and strangely, this viewing 
it it moved up. I think mainly because oh, I was what die another day. Here? <laughs> <laughs> just uh, maybe because to go, really. <laughs> because of the analytic part of my brain was looking at the film. Perhaps I was looking at it closer than I've ever looked at it before. What I really enjoyed about it was the Christopher Lee performance. Yes, I'll give you give you that. Christopher Lee is having the time of his life. I, I that was in fact apart from some of the chases, the most fun you have in this movie is just watching Christopher Lee <laughs> lounge around his base, kind of <laughs> gradually taking Bond around, like shooting the top off some Dom Perignon, and then not even offering him any of the best. <laughs> Sucking down some oysters. There's just a it's sense so... of glee about his performance. He just every mm. time he walks in, you can tell he's playing the villain. The villain's always the best part. And he's really going to town. He's not overacting. He's just Christopher Lee being Christopher Lee. Well, he also has literally no character, right? No. Uh, he has a um, superfluous papillae. <laughs> That's <laughs> a third nipple. Yes. And he has, he gets a million dollars per contract and he has a lair and that's, that's literally about it as far as characterization goes. Yes. And a sense of humor, which is one of the first times you've seen that in a Christopher Lee. Pretty much. Yeah. Hey, so is the, is one of the things I'm interested in doing this ninth film in the series, which we're not experts on all of the franchises we'll get to, um, one of which we only discovered today. But, um, <laughs> you know, when you get to the ninth film in a series, there's this balance of fan service and having like kind of the tropes of the series and one of the interesting things to me was the whole opening doesn't have bond in it at all Mm. except for a wax figure at the very end is that to my memory that's not very typical of the series but is that no it's it's not typical but the the idea behind it was to show that scaramango which is christopher lee's character the man with the golden gun is the direct is the coin opposite of Roger Moore, James Bond. Yes. And so that was... Because he can act. No, wait. (laughs) (laughs) Well, Roger Moore's style of acting is lifting one eyebrow and then lifting the other. Exactly. Which which puts him against other actors (laughs) that we'll talk about soon. (laughs) Yes. Yes. But that that opening was very much to to show that they're 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 the the same side, the the different side of... Yeah, yeah. There's a coin, there's one side, and he's on the other side of it. But for me, I mean, the, the, the opening sequence of the Bond movie normally is... Practically unrelated. It's practically normally a ludicrous stunt. And yeah. as a Bond fan from way back, and someone who likes explosions and car chases, this one was kind of get on with it. Lame. It's, it yeah. was it was a long stalking scene. I had many many questions about the fact that he's been stalked by a hitman through his own house, but apparently doesn't know the layout of his own house as if his <laughs> his, his butler has changed the entire architecture before he went in, which seems. I mean, even for a training montage, <laughs> it seems excessive, shall we say? Yeah. And and it rolled through that, and it hit the theme song, and the theme song was rubbish. Oh god! But let's just minutes, let's just talk about that tra- that opening sequence a little bit more, yeah. because it's quite weird in that, like, it immediately evokes vertigo yeah. with the um, turning mm-hmm. things around the face of of um, Scaramanga, yeah. and then the. Um, Lady of Shanghai with its um, funhouse mirror scene, yes. and it, yeah. and there's also the gangster in the Western theme. It's kind of like they're trying to fit the history of Western cinema, or they're just bored. I, 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 <laughs> I, I, I and and g- given how many ball kicks are in this movie, I, I, I hesitate to ascribe it too many 
um, highbrow aspirations. I think it's technically called throwing any old shit in there. Yeah, some of it will stick <laughs> on the wall, not all of it. The production design, I've got to yeah. say, was fantastic in those opening scenes. Yeah. I mean, the, the, all the way through the movie, when you've got tilted sets and you've got the fun house, as you say, which is... It just didn't feel like to me like it fitted in a Bond movie. Yeah. Mm. Even that um, stunt with the stairs falling is straight yeah. out of a Buster Keaton thing, yeah. I think. Yeah, the haunted yeah. house. Um, and But yeah, exactly. It's it's that kind of, we're in the 70s, it's somehow now a bit dated, and we have to refresh it, but we don't know how. Maybe we can throw in karate. Karate. <laughs> oh yeah. my gosh. Well, I mean, as you say, you mentioned Bruce Lee. 73, one year before, Enter the Dragon. Yeah. And boom, Kung Fu's everywhere. I mean, by the time this one came out in 74, the grindhouses in New York would have been full of triple features of badly dubbed Kung Fu. And I've seen a lot of Kung Fu. And this one tries to try on Kung Fu. It's not good Kung Fu. No. And Roger Moore's Kung Fu looks like William Shatner. <laughs> it's, it's, it's like your dad getting drunk and trying to dance at a party. It's just, hey, all over the place. It does not, I mean, he's not the kind of guy that should be throwing karate kicks. So Roger yeah. Moore's Kung Fu looks like a drunk toupee. A drunk toupee, yes, that's it. So, so let's just step back for a second. Where do we stand on Roger Moore as a Bond? I like Roger Moore as a Bond, but he is a he's a he's a light comedian first and foremost. He's got that that nice kind of laid back attitude. He do, you don't expect him to get into a massive fist fight with anybody. He could charm his way out of it. Yeah, which is where this movie throws all the wrong things. But later on, by making him trying to be tough, doesn't work. And when he's slapping around when women slapping as well, around women and that and that's my I because I my first Bond I think was uh, for your eyes only, and I saw you know Octopussy and um, all those in the theater growing up, and um, and I my memory of him as the Bond is a quite kind of happy go lucky one, yeah. and um, and that felt really curdled here against the oh, actual yeah. toxicity of. Yeah. So much of this film. Yeah, much more the smack my bitch up. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's that's not what you expect from Roger Moore. Before we started recording, Darren and I discussed our favourite Bond movies and our favourite... And oddly enough, yours was Lazen Me. Yes. So your favourite Bond movie, and whereas mine is actually is one of the Roger Moores. Which one? It is The Spy Who Loved Me. It's right. the one okay. after mm. this one. And that, for me, polar opposite of this. That's a movie that does everything right. Yeah. that has the action, that has a great storyline, that has a great female uh, lead to balance off Bond's sexism. Yeah. So we're going to get into that eventually. <laughs> I think we kind of table. already have. <laughs> on the table. That's, there's no denying that, but balances that off. And then here you've got a Bond who's swaying from charming ladies' man to slapping people in the face, mm. slapping Maud Adams in the face, which is just not Bond. Well, and not let's, let's not forget the whole bathroom stereothon. Yeah, that, that wasn't. Oh, yeah, yeah, so that that's a bit creepy. So for those who don't remember it in detail, <laughs> he uh, just decides to show up in a woman's shower and just kind of wait outside and stare. and it's, At, at it's, the sort of the, the overall naked nudity yeah. of, of the whole situation. And that this, this Bond, I mean, it's 74, you were in the middle of porno chic, so yeah, everything's getting more extreme on screen. I mean, we it felt had, like it really pushed the limits of what a PG it. was. It was. I mean, mm. there was there was some slightly disguised frontal nudity with a character whose name I don't even want to say. Chew me. Yes, which <laughs> I hate. I hate hate that section of the movie. Yes, but also we have high fat. In case you thought we were out of, of uh, yeah. some Asian names, <laughs> high fat and chew me. Ha, 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 ha. <laughs> 
It yes. is to laugh. But, yeah, it, they, they were trying to push it into that 70s extreme, which was going on there. And but it still feels like a movie for kids at the same time, it's, yeah. especially with mm. the whole um, Boss Hog interlude, you know? Um, which I had... Um, yeah. I, I believe you mean... You can't see uh, my expression right G-W now. J.W. Culpepper! <laughs> my expression is pained. <laughs> oh. <clears throat> yeah, that's that's a good impression of yeah. J.W. Culpepper. J.W. Pepper. Yes, if there's one thing British people love, and I've learned this over time, it's making fun of Americans. <laughs> and to, It's as, not true, and, ladies and gentlemen. And, and the extent to which it's stereotypes of Asian people are broad, it's probably even broader of Americans. <laughs> yeah. so, which well, is when kind I say ladies and gentlemen, I'm probably only referring to listener. So, it's not Let's be optimistic. Or half a listener. Yeah. Right, so that's that's a, an incredible way that we just got completely off track and discussed the entire movie in four and a half. <laughs> Let's pull it back. Let's yeah, pull it. Okay. This is going to happen quite often. This, yeah, so, okay, so we, can we talk about the fact that our jo- big intro to the hero of the movie is him opening a door and walking into an office? Yeah. It's... That's that that to me is kind of like I feel like when you're in the ninth installment, you either get really wacky or you're just formulaic. And this somehow manages to do both. Mm. And to me, that shot of a door opening at mid-level and tilting up to reveal James Bond. And I say reveal kind of like yeah. <laughs> the, the, the cameraman remembering that he has to have headroom <laughs> rather than, oh, you know, what right. he, like, like, I mean, you know, there, there are great cinematic reveals. And then there's like, we need to move the camera to see a guy's head. <laughs> but I mean, you're not really revealing much. We kind of know it's a James Bond film. It's been going on for what, how long the series already? 12, 14 years. You know, kind yeah, of but, but, but there's still a hero. There's a heroic entrance. Exactly. You know, that it just, I mean, obviously we don't need to be introduced and the film yeah. pretty much assumes we know who James, James Bond is. is. Yeah. Mm. But he literally is just coming in to do his day job. He's just walking in going, what's up? What do yeah. you got for me? <laughs> and it's, you know, go home. Okay. But chief, there's an energy crisis that is completely unrelated to the main plot. Until later. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> that's that. That's the thing because all Bond villains are supposed to have their their, their plot, their something to do with taking over yeah. the world or putting a laser in space or sharks with lasers on their heads or something like that. But yeah. we find out, what, about 15 minutes from the end that this little bit of... Oh, P.S., it could also be... Right yeah, yeah. Is, yeah, I did have a plan, but I don't understand it, says Christopher Lee, which is the oh, most charming thing. <laughs> I've got a plan to control the energy market. How's it working? No idea! And he has a staff of one. One I, man. My suspicion oh. is that Christopher Lee didn't bother learning the lines. And Roger Moore just well, like, this is rubbish. Oh. I'm not going to say it. So, so that exists at a temperature of 173.2 degrees. I should do this. Yeah, I believe so. <laughs> that's, not, that's certainly possible. I don't really know. I'm just going to get some money for it. This, this, is, more the man, this is the man who refused to say the lines in Dracula because he oh, thought okay. that a lot of the Hammer Dracula lines were so bad. He said, I'll play it mute. And so in many of the movies, he just <laughs> stared. In Stars of Dracula, not a single line because he thought the script was so rubbish. Mm. Nope, let Dennis Waterman do all the dialogue. I'll just look at him and go... <laughs> 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 and and like, some level, I'd love to see the version of Man with the Golden Gun. Where he did that. No, no. Are you Nothing. Talk to uh, Nick Nack. I, I kind of liked how Nick-nack. low stakes the whole thing was. It's uh, Bond films are all sort of end of the world. Yeah. 
there is usually the the nuclear power plant. This time, the the, the lead villain had no idea how to run it. No. <laughs> it's a solar thing. I don't. Know. I, I have no idea. <laughs> you don't but I will. Uh, I stand here looking very debonair and very loose. Someone might buy it. They might use it as a weapon. I don't really. Know. <laughs> <laughs> I've got to get back to my wine cellar. There's an assassin coming at eight to try to kill me again. <laughs> oh dear. Uh, uh, it's it's not a holiday at volcano when I'm going to blow up Southeast Asia. It's just it's just stuff I'm doing. I'm yeah. bored, and so we have this really what for the first forty five minutes. I'm like, this is the most linear, dull movie where it's just what like happens? I'm going to Beirut because. Scaramanga shot somebody there and maybe I'll find a clue and my reference to Beirut is we have a close-up of a belly button dancing and, and with a flattened golden bullet in her belly button and I was thinking about how accustomed we are now though to like um, Spectre and and some of these films that even even though there's a lot of things I didn't like about Spectre you know it just begins with that amazing nine minute tracking mm. shot during the Day of the Dead parade and you expect like if you go to a place, you're going to that place. Yeah. You're not half-assing it. You're not, like, banging up, like, a couple, like, <laughs> things with little crescent shapes on them in a, in in a, a storeroom in London. In yeah. yeah. <laughs> you're in Beirut, honest! Yeah. Can we um, go outside? No, you can't. <laughs> also, we've watched some films that I don't consider very good for this, mm-hmm. but this is the only one where I've seen the crew in a mirror. You saw the crew in a mirror. Yes, so in, wow. in Beirut, when she, he's in the um, dressing room, and for no real obvious reason, three guys suddenly decide to come in to start beating him up. There's no, there's no pretext for that, right? I didn't, no, no, I didn't no, miss no, that. No. They just, they, they just come in and start attacking yes, him. Yeah. It's the only bar in Beirut. They knew where to find him so. because reasons. Um, but there's a mirror in the background, and as soon as they start flying around, the mirror like catches like a camera person and some lights and wow. at least another guy. I, I went through, I went back and paused it because I'm like, did that really happen in, in a, Bond. a James Bond movie? Yeah. And yep. <laughs> oh, yeah. Sometimes you get that shot and it's just, well, we could go back and shoot it, but yeah. who's going to notice? Who's well, going to have the technology? To, Doug's going to notice. Yeah. Well, also, and to be fair, back in the day, you're shooting on film. You don't yeah, have you don't like a second chance and everything's moving quickly. Looks good. You know, you get back to the lab. Mm-hmm. Oh. oh well. <laughs> Talking about getting back to the lab during that scene where the where there is the belly dancer with the the bullet um, in her belly in her belly in her belly button, and Bond swallows the evidence. <laughs> The very next scene, he's handing that same bullet to Q. <laughs> yeah. Does this literally swallow the evidence? He does. He does. We see him do it. He even does a comic. Oh, there's, right. There's, there's even a line of dialogue about it. Had to, you had to go through a lot to get this. Yes, oh, yeah. Yes, I did. <laughs> yes, a little single entendre for you. <laughs> but I, I yes. love the analysis scene of that. We were literally Q and one other guy from Q Branch passed it back and forth. The micro uh, looked well, in the microscope back and forth. After uh, after James after Bond passed it passed first. Passed it first, yes, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> Popped it under a microscope, they look at it, they trade a few di- bits of dialogue and instantly pick up not only where the bullet's from, what the nickel content is, but who made it. 
So apparently lab work is a lot easier than I thought. You don't have to do any tests. You don't have to get any equipment out. You just look Microscopes and go, are powerful things. I think we've seen <laughs> enough movies to know that. And Q's got an amazing... No, not enough nickel in that to be from Southeast. <laughs> oh, okay, well, maybe it's... Oh, it's this guy. It's Bob. Yeah. It's definitely Bob. It's Bob's handiwork. Yeah. Why do you even need Bond? You could just look in a lab and go, yeah, he's on the island in Thailand. Uh, you could get him there. I think you find part of the, half of the work is the English accent. Oh, yes, sorry. yes. I think the English accent does contribute a lot to the the fact gathering in the science. <laughs> but, but it is also this fan service things. If you have to have the scene with Q and you have to yeah. have all these things, and so you have to weave them through. It's worth noting the plot of the um, the plot. Oh, original <laughs> no, the the book. The book. Um, oh, that, that, he um, uh, he's recovering from being brainwashed by Smirsh. And then he eventually gets sent to uh, Jamaica uh, under an Nicole? alias. Um, so there's this kind of there's this whole other different story going on. So they've just co- created this all pretty much from whole cloth. About the only thing that's in common is there's a man with a golden gun, golden gun. Um, which is kind of who kind has of true. three nipples. Three nipples. Yeah. A, I don't uh, a superfluous papillae. Um, <laughs> <laughs> Take your word for it. <laughs> Been working on that one for a while. <laughs> so yeah, so then we then we're off to um, make up for what we uh, didn't get in location in uh, Hong Kong, where they're just like, I guess we better we prove that we spent some money on this every, film. Every street in Hong Kong gets a cameo. There's neon lights everywhere. Yeah, and it's it's I, that entrance is like headed on in. They take the boat into Hong Kong and. It, Stops to look at the the wreck, the wreck which is liner. a real wreck, actually. Real wreck, yeah, yeah, the Queen Elizabeth. Yeah. And it's it's kind of I, I think I wrote in my notes in travel log because <laughs> we got to see a fair bit of it. Not as not as bad as some movies we've seen, which is like five minutes driving around, you know, Puerto Rico because yeah. the government's paid you to get there. <laughs> a movie which was many years ago, and we might get to eventually if we can find something to relate to that one. Which one? Oh, please oh, no. Oh, I will keep that under my hat because I want to find a movie to relate to that. You got to see it. You weren't here. Oh God, yes. Uh, we we haven't really discussed yet the amount of cinemasochism that goes on between the three of us. We have but, watched um, a lot of crap. Yeah. yeah, And, and, and some good stuff. And Let's just put it out there. We... I, I should note the original intention was to do an A, B, Z where we actually watch something really good, something good for what it is, and then something really bad and try to bring them together. And, hmm. and we kind of did that today. <laughs> Wait, what was a good film? Uh, well, good bits of a film. Um, no, actually, I'm not. <laughs> I went blank there briefly. <laughs> yeah. There was There's nothing. There's going to be weeks when we hit, weeks <laughs> yes. when not so Weeks much. when yes. we miss entirely. And it's, <laughs> we will see. Yeah. yeah, and it's, I mean, for this movie, um, yeah, get my words in the right order. This The first movie here, I mean, it wasn't that it was terrible. It's I've, It's not my least favourite Bond film. Um, Diamonds Forever is my least favourite Bond film. It's just cartoonishly stupid. It's just, this is the one thing that a Bond film should not be for most of it. It is dull. Yeah. Nothing happens. I, I timed it at one stage. 35 minutes in, we'd had a fist fight and a lot of dialogue and some gratuitous nudity. No one even took a you know a car chase through a crowded yeah. marketplace. I would have paid mm. money to see that at that stage. It was nearly well, an hour you, you have happened. in theory. You know, that's the whole point. <laughs> if you put part of, you know, and we, and we do get it eventually, it's like you go to see a Bond film to see a see chase. A chase. Ideally, it. multiple. And, and we do we, get multiple chases eventually. But we got a boat chase which went at about four miles an hour <laughs> and ended up with Bond throwing an innocent child into polluted water. <laughs> but what? we've all wanted to do that yeah, one yeah. time in our life. But this is after he's... He's living the dream. Yeah. <laughs> 
<laughs> I got kids. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you only have, well, I guess you only have one kid that we know kid. of. I don't know how many you've thrown into polluted yeah. rivers. Yeah, I could probably do that once or twice. Just. <laughs> Clean your room. In New Zealand, it's not that hard to find a polluted no. river, sadly. Um, but then we do get a car chase as well, eventually. We do. We, Unfortunately, but... it's got Sheriff Pepper involved in it, which makes it horrible. Uh, because nothing makes a car chase more exciting than a guy screaming in a Louisiana accent and being racist as fuck. <laughs> in a film that like really didn't need any help being racist, we should say. No. It's a, it's it's interesting this whole like kind of w- trying to watch stuff from the time. Mm. Um, because a certain amount you just take on as if you're watching a film from this time, it's going to have that. You can't immediately watch films sure. from the 60s and 70s and apply a woke lens and mm-hmm. get angry about it. I mean, unless you really thrive on being angry about people being racist 50 or 60 years ago, in which case, you know, get another hobby. <laughs> <laughs> but I feel like this is pretty gratuitous even for the time. And the English love the ugly American stereotype. Yeah. And, yeah. and Sheriff J.W. Pepper, yeah, but I'm going to bust your ass! Boy. There's a lot of boy. That was There's a lot of boy. Of his dog. <laughs> he was in the previous movie, and apparently... They loved him so much, yeah. they brought him back for this one. It in the trailer, sense. he gets yeah. a welcome oh, yeah, back, J.W. Yeah, and J.W. Pepper is back. And it <laughs> makes no sense because he's shown in the previous movie to be horribly racist. And then he goes on vacation to <laughs> Thailand. As horrible racist. As a horrible racist. Yeah, exactly. That's something I was thinking about. It's 1974. You know, it's not like he's even got a lonely planet. You know, he's going to <laughs> Bangkok, you know. Yeah. It's not like he speaks a word of... Thai, I'm no. sure, you know. No, uh, I get the feeling a man like J.W. Pepper wouldn't have a passport. I have a feeling, would yes. never have seen the ocean, uh, you know. Mm-hmm. Or he, he, he would just be in, in the bayou and, I mean, I can dismiss that in the first movie because the only time you see him is in a really good boat chase. Yeah. And he's yes. not in there for long. And this one, he appears and he goes, oh, good, it's just a cameo. He's gone again. And then he comes right back for the car chase and I nearly threw my TV out the window. So, Well, it's... Just to prove that animals can spot racism. <laughs> We've gone there's... on a weird left field here. Left, left turn. Yeah. Conspiracy. There's a, a scene in the movie where he spots Bond. He's standing on the quayside, and there's a small elephant that is uh, <laughs> that is, is such a weird scene. is picking his oh pocket. Oh, oh, is that what I was doing? Thank or, God. Or, or just, no, just or giving him some, him some sort of relief. <laughs> <laughs> but this elephant, its uh, he swats the elephant and pushes the elephant away. The elephant then pushes him into the water. That is not in, that is not in the script. That oh, really? just that, that happened. happened. Oh, that's a nice touch. Because elephants can spot racism <laughs> and they never forget. <laughs> so Clifton James went, and apparently Roger Moore went in the water twice during the boat chase. He said once because he was told not to, and the second time he just fell in. And right. he said the second time he accidentally opened his eyes and discovered, quote, what uh, coroners do or undertakers do to people with lo- not a lot of money in Thailand. Oy. And he regretted it after that. Oh so there gosh. was, yeah, he Whoa. was, he jumped into a, a polluted river full of corpses so that's something for your resume uh wow and i just killed came... the room there <laughs> let's bring this up a bit <laughs> um so yeah what we need now is a little slide whistle like we are at the end of the... Whoa. 
Oh, yes, the, the master of, of composing John Barry, who, you know, er, earlier in the film brings us his Asiatic interpretation of the James Bond. Quite cool. Not as good thing. as the disco one, uh, one movie later. But, <laughs> um, but then uh, completes a, uh, what's well, actually kind of an impressive car stunt. With I don't think you can blame John Barry for the, the for, slide whistle. For the slide slide whistle. whistle. He, did, he said he regretted it. He said he put it in there from what I read. Because oh, he didn't think he blame John Barry. He, said, or... he did. He said he put it in there because he didn't think people would take the the stunt seriously because it's it's is a ludicrous. Well, maybe stunt. we should three, roll yeah. this back roll and back explain to what the stunt is. If you haven't seen the movie, it's amazing. It's amazing. If you watch it on mute. So basically, <laughs> like um, Bond and um, J.W. Pepper are in pursuit of Scaramanga and um, I keep wanting to say Short Round. Which short is Round, no, Nick Knack. Nick Knack. But not on the goodies. Who have um, Goodnight in their trunk for some reason. Um, one of her first... Um, and er- early, less successful attempts at completely ruining the mission, um, which we yeah. reach full flower later in the movie when her um, posterior becomes the main villain. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and by shapely buttock. And so they're, they, they're chasing Not the then, first time in a Bond film. <laughs> and, and then somehow they get on other sides of the river, and then Bond discovers this bridge across the river yeah it's like it's like kind of gnarled and on an angle and on an angle and then the other side's also on an angle and what kind of crazy person could drive across this well somebody with a recently stolen amc (laughs) hornet i looked up the make and model and didn't tell me what uh sort of horsepower it has but i'm guessing quite a lot and i'm guessing a fuck ton i think in an american car probably good in straight lines maybe not so much for corners well also the the uh, the other one's an amc as well which is uh takes flight later amc plane a real plane that was put together for uh, I looked this up. That is actually not just made up for the movie. There was a, a flying AMC that wow. was made up. Probably and this is not Bonds. This is Scaramanga's. Like, is Scaramanga's. Like, later, he's he's hiding in some garage, and like the cops show up, and the and J.W. Pepper is doing comic relief, and all of a sudden, like Scaramanga's car is converted to a plane. This sounds way more interesting. Than <laughs> Exactly. It's, yeah. It does. It gets a lot of footage. The plane, but I think that's because they went, "Hey, we got a car that turns into a plane. Let's show, shoot the shit." Getting back to the the car stunt, which was, I mean, it's let's put it, it's a three sixty barrel roll across yes. a river that had never been done before. That they had, I think, six cameras shooting it because they thought this guy's gonna die and right. we're gonna get a second take. That guys in the water, they were literally thought he was crazy as hell. Um, he was an English stunt man. Uh, I wrote his name down, but I haven't got the note here because yeah. I'm really disorganized. And he'd never done the stunt before, had he? He'd never, never done it before. Um, and oh, yeah, there we go. I only I did write down his uh, the fact that later on that car, 2017, sold for 110,000 US dollars at auction, and it's wow. the exact one, 360 degree barrel, unbelievable stunt, and as we say, ruined because John Barry went. They're not going to take it seriously and put a slide whistle as it went off and a slide whistle when it lands and it just wrecks it. And I, I would literally, when I watched this this a couple of days ago, watch that scene, rewound, muted my television, watched it again. <laughs> Much better. Did you watch it with Aiden, by the way? I didn't. I didn't uh, show my son uh, this one. Uh, he hasn't seen any more moves, actually. I've okay. shown him the opening to The Spy Who Loved Me with the, the amazing skiing off the edge of the cliff thing. Oh, right. But That's that one, yeah. I've discovered a lot of things. Kids, because uh, under the age of about 12 or 13, it's kind of a lot of times I can go, oh, yeah, and they don't seem impressed with it. And it's mm. because CGI now, you can do any shit you want. You can yeah. jump through a blazing star if you want. And you have to go back and go, 
that's a real guy going off a real cliff who could have gone and really splattered himself. And then it kind of goes, all right. It's not... But it's sort of an intellectual appreciation. Yeah. Mm, it's exactly. like, I remember one time at work, I was listening to the blue, blues, some early, like, Lightning Hopkins or something, and, like, the guy couldn't get his head around it. And I'm like, well, you know, like, Nirvana covers some of this stuff. It's all from that. He's like, oh, so it's, like, musical archaeology. <laughs> and, that was his, wow. and he's like, oh, I, I kind of get it. I'm like... No, it's just it's just music. I just like it. But you know, I guess, you know, however you have to get there, you know. <laughs> to, to roll back to the stunt, so the the choice of the slide whistle, it's apparently the director Guy Hamilton. Once the stunt was done, he didn't like it because it looked it was too perfect. He wanted to do it again, and the stunt man refused. <laughs> Because As he didn't would. think he would live through he didn't a, bring second a second pair of pants. So. <laughs> <laughs> so that was more than likely why there was the slide whistle was because it gave it gave it a bit more for the director because the director didn't believe it was real. Yeah. yeah. So he made it less real by doing. Yeah, the, apparently the, he went on. Uh, I think same, his, his nickname was Bumps. Oh, that's all I remember about the stuntman. But he actually was went on to do that at car shows live later on. Right. So he would wow. do that three sixty degree barrel roll and. I don't know if he's still alive. I'm <laughs> guessing probably not. I don't know if he's doing it. You, you know, um, if he's still doing it now at the yeah. age of whatever, that'd be great. But yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, the car's now been sold. So if you want to find out who bought it and recreate it, uh, yeah. <laughs> best of luck. Yeah. Well, so continuing on after all this car action, don't we get like another like forty-five minutes of dialogue or something? There's and... a lot. I mean, that's as when he flies off to Thailand. Amazing. Yeah amazing location. I mean, it's the bay in Thailand with all the, the giant kind of islands that just... Yeah. See so where, if you've a fan of Top Gear, where they did the the end of the Thailand special, they went around all the, the bays at the top and amazing looking place I'd love to visit. And of course, Christopher Lee being Christopher Lee has hollowed one of those out right. the base, which is just, I mean, that's super villain 101. I mean, what are you going to do? Build yourself a nice big, you know, inconspicuous place or hollow out an island well in actual fact it does say that high fat the high fat. Uh, his bankroller <laughs> oh god and yes. actually uh, did that himself so it's uh, so christopher lee is just oh, yes, he's living there flat, yes. uh, he's living there rent free yeah, he does even say it yeah, can yeah. we talk about how terrible bond's plan for meeting high fat is for a moment oh yeah <laughs> Adding a third nipple. That's Just so you know, this plan. is not going to be a linear conversation. <laughs> yes. I think they realise that five minutes from now. <laughs> <laughs> or five minutes from now. <laughs> oh, Oculus. Oculus. Oculus, the, the podcast. That's what you got, folks. Sorry. <laughs> but, um, yeah, it's like he just... like. If I just throw a third nipple on, he'll think I'm Scaramanga. No and one's then... ever met him. And, yes. and he walks out from my pillar two minutes after leaving <laughs> yeah, and goes, like... well, that must have been Bond then. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's Bond is, is the one-minded doll that got me in this one that sums up James Bond was, oh, Mr. Bond, your reputation precedes you. He's a secret agent. He's not supposed to have a <laughs> reputation. He's yeah. doing it wrong. He's doing it spectacularly wrong. And, and also, like, I mean, part of the joy of like in theory of like a spy movie is right is that the spies are clever mm. and that they they're, <laughs> they are ahead of the audience and the audience mm-hmm. is going what's their plan oh oh i see okay you know that there's some joy in watching the expertise of it um and maybe you could say oh well you get that and then it gets undercut but it just kind of underscores what a not very convincing secret agent Bond yeah, is in this film. As you say, his plan in this one is to 
attach a third nipple, climb over a wall into a compound full of heavily armed guys, and walk up and say, morning. And, and try to find a place where he can have an excuse to take off his shirt. Exactly. Which is provided by our naked friend, Chumi. Chumi, um, yes. Mm. Good old Chumi. Chumi. <laughs> Swim a naked in a pool because that's the best they got for I mean, the female leads in this one, Maud Adams and Britt Eklund. Britt Eklund has nothing to do. She's utterly eye candy. She's, I mean, she spends part of the movie locked in a closet yeah. while Bond is having sex with Maud Adams. Creepy. <laughs> really quite creepy. And, and yeah, and that yeah. was like her whole character was like giving Bond the cold shoulder and then literally running up to his hotel room before mm. he got there, yeah. but not before they could enjoy their foo yuck wine. <laughs> <laughs> but, <Modern> racism. Oh, <laughs> yeah. yeah. I mean, as I said, I, I like my Bond girls to have a little bit of fire. Yours, Darren, is uh, Diana Rigg, of course. Yes, yeah. Who well, could that's punch it. a guy through a wall. She's amazing. On Her Majesty's Secret Service, my favourite Bond film, mainly because Diana Rigg is a fully fleshed human being, a mm. real, a real live character. There's lots of depth there, and it's just a yeah, it's yeah. a great film because of that, as well as many other things, but. That's in particular is one of them. What do you think about the new Bond films, like Casino Royale and Skyfall in particular, which I think are the two good ones of the new well, ones? Well, Skyfall I love. Yeah. I would say that's one of my favourites of the of recent times. Um, let's not talk about Quantum of Solace. Let's not, no. because I can't remember anything and couldn't four minutes after I finished watching the thing. Yeah. <laughs> to be fair, Quantum of Solace was like, hey, we've got a Bond film coming up, but there's a writer's strike. Let's have fun. I didn't. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but yeah, Skyfall has it has a um, what's the word? It's, I mean, it's another a, film in Macau as well. As it happens, that's true. And, yeah. But it also has a larger than life villain, which is the first time in a long time that they put that back into the. Oh, uh, Casino Royale has Le Chiffre bleeding, you know, tears of blood and stuff. That's and, true. And it's but it's Mads not... Mickelson, you know. Like, Mads has a bit of. Uh, yeah, have I, to him, you know? I suppose so, but uh, it's for... Uh, what's his face? I can't think of his name right now. The Daniel Craig? No, no, the the villain in Skyfall who is... Javier Bardem. Javier Bardem is, yeah. is just a... He's big and yeah. campy and villainy-ish. And it, uh, it really works for me. Yeah. yeah I've, been, I've been fairly cool on him. I mean, I liked Casino Royale. I thought it was a really nice kind of reboot of the series and it, it once again it got the tough bond because yeah. you needed the tough bond at that stage it was a way to branch yeah. out the Bourne films out. it's because yeah. I'm, I'm a big fan of the Dalton films both the Daltons and yeah. to me the Dalton, and those are tough films yeah, yeah he could play an incredibly tough bond and then you know when you got Daniel Craig he was seriously tough enough to play bond and be believable Quantum of Solace practically killed the series for me it yeah. was so boring it that, is very and very because dull. now everything has got an overriding storyline and i couldn't remember jack shit about that movie after watching it yeah. i got to the next one and i'm like who are these people again yeah why, why do i have to care about this and, well, I, and that's one thing yeah. about man with a golden gun you can just come in and it doesn't matter <laughs> you know yeah. i mean you could have never seen a bond film before and you're like no. this guy's a secret agent these are people yeah apparently he's got a code number it's 007 okay you know um and that's about it. An interesting know. thing about Skyfall is that if it's without explaining too much of the film, but the there's an opening sequence where uh, Bond um, goes on a mission and he gets hurt. Yeah. And 
and then it's the film sort of flash flashes forward to um, it feels like another ten years ahead. It's it feels like during that period of time he's lived through all the films we've just seen, including Man with the Golden Gun, and gotten up to right it's, yeah. and, and gotten up to Skyfall, and then the film carries on. And that's one of the things I really like is that I think Daniel Craig gives a more seasoned performance and he actually gives a shit which he sure as fuck doesn't inspector no yeah no he i mean at that stage he's he's he literally was on record saying he didn't want to do another bond film he didn't want to do this one he's doing now but he seems to have as he was saying earlier on to me mm. he's kind of warmed up on it because his script apparently is better but if an actor doesn't want to be in a film no matter how many millions they're getting paid it normally comes through on screen yeah. It's called the Eric Roberts effect. <laughs> That's a good name for a podcast. Well, I'm keeping that. <laughs> if it means watching Eric Robert films, I'm out. <laughs> uh, well, and I'm in. You're yeah. in. Excellent. There we go. It's yeah. a two-man job. So, <laughs> right, where were we? Well, we're, so apparently there's a film called Man with the Golden Gun. <laughs> we try to We've get got to these. two more films to go. And we're going to uh, go through those. We're not going to go in this level of detail. No. Um, eventually, Bond gets to the island. You know, we've, Christopher Lee shows right. off his toy. He, and, I mean... We, we haven't even talked about Knickknack properly. Oh. Herbe Vilches, tattoo from Fantasy Island. is He is an... I mean, obviously they're aiming for kind of a mini version of uh, Goldfinger's henchman. Our job. job. Yeah. But he's he's really kind of throws me a little bit from time to time because the big thing, his big motivation is if the man with the golden gun is killed, he inherits the island. He's also the man with the golden gun's chef poison his food used to <laughs> you can do it don't hire people to kill him but also mm. like he he um i i don't i so yeah for some reason he tries to kill bond at the end yeah. even after all of that i mean to be fair they did blow up the island, they blew up yeah. the island so, so that, that, was, that was what i thought yeah, yeah, he's, yeah. He's kind of, oh yeah he's this is everything. not a spoiler free zone spoiler free, no. yeah. as you pay probably yes <laughs> but i i feel like even if you know what's going to happen with man with the golden gun it's not like yeah you probably know what's going to happen before it starts and it's 41 years old so if you haven't watched it yet <laughs> i'm guessing it's not a priority <laughs> um but yeah i really found it fascinating that he goes through this whole duel with the man with the golden gun, and they reprise the whole, like, bloody mm-hmm. thing that we've seen before, and we have to go through the whole thing again. It's, it's a it's such a, a nothing ending for Scaramanga. Yeah. It's bang. Oh. Yeah. What, what happened? I, I was wondering that, because I actually was like, did I just space for a second <laughs> and miss the dramatic bit, or, like, some kind of... Thing. It's there like no, no it's drama. Just, it's just he it's, beats him to the yeah. door. Live by the gun, die by the gun. And yeah. It's and the fact is that the uh, and the in the beginning of the film they introduce us to uh, the way we meet Bond for the first time is as a wax work. It's like a Madame Tussaud thing, and then at the end of the film, it's Bond becomes the wax work in order to kill. Scaramanga and and one and Scaramanga been, doesn't remember that he blew four of the fingers off the right. waxwork. And one could argue that he became the waxwork a lot earlier and on in the movie. Ooh. <laughs> and and you'd think at this point the movie's over, but instead yep. um, we have um, the true nemesis of the film, Goodnight, <laughs> yes. who takes charge. Holy Goodnight. <laughs> not Holy Goodnight, that's Holy Good here, doesn't it? Uh, Goodnight, Miss Goodnight. Did, did, did they ever give her a first name? I don't know. Uh, I think they name. did, but. Was it Holy, um, Holy Goodnight? I, I it was Goodhead in one of the other movies. 
and a Plenty O'Toole, and at that point, that's the reason I really started hating Doctor of Forever. <laughs> and Plenty, Plenty O'Toole. Uh, Christmas Jones, do we have? <laughs> oh, Christmas <laughs> Jones. <laughs> Which actually uh, riffs off one of the jokes here, yes. you know, at the end when um, he says, she's coming, yeah. and uh, at the end of uh, The World Is Not Enough, he's like, I thought Christmas only comes once, once a year. year. <laughs> hey. uh, now we understand the name. Yeah. Yeah, yeah but it's, it is, and it's that final bit, it's just you've killed everybody except Knack-Knack, and then you're basically... You've got Brett Eklund's ass. Brett Eklund's ass triggers a <laughs> solar-powered laser that nearly takes your face off. Day at the office, another day at the office <laughs> yeah. of Bond. This is, this is after she killed somebody um, unnecessarily. Oh, yes, and, and, and causes the... Causes the island to blow up. And I've got a question some science here, because she throws him into a pool <laughs> of on. liquid question nitrogen. Some yes. It's a pool of liquid nitrogen. It's like, minus 300 degrees. She throws in one guy. Instead of him instantly freezing... His body temperature raises the liquid nitrogen's temperature to a point where everything explodes. I'm not sure that's the way liquid <laughs> nitrogen works, and I'm not a scientist. I will point that out, but I'm pretty sure that's not the way it works. <laughs> Only we had Christopher Lee here. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> something, something cold. <laughs> it shit just happened. Uh, we miss you, Chris. We miss you. <laughs> so well, we do. Uh, yeah. Actually, one thing about Christopher Lee. Just um, looking at my notes. It's uh, Jack Palance was offered the role of Scaramanga originally and turned oh, really? it down. Wow. Yeah. And uh, Christopher Lee was phoned up because I believe he knew either the director or the producer. And uh, he read the script and said, yes, I'm in for it. Absolutely. Sign me up. <laughs> he read a script. When did this happen? <laughs> you are assuming. <laughs> we have a movie. I'll take it. Allegedly. <laughs> um. So, is there? An, uh, should we wrap up um, and talk about where the franchise went after this? Because I think I it, think so. And also, we need to find out your favorite ball movie because we've we've said ours. Yeah. Oh, I, I I really need to go back because I haven't watched a lot of them for a long time. I've been saying Skyfall recently because it's just so brilliantly shot in mm-hmm. such a. Um, and I really love the Daniel Craig Bond, but there's a few that I really want to revisit. Um, on Eric Majesty's Secret Services, yeah. high amongst those. And uh, Goldeneye, which actually I remember, that was the oh, one... Oh, I don't know. Really? <laughs> I, I, re- I remember going to the theater in 1995 and being like, oh, you know, it's Martin Campbell having really I remember revived the franchise. Yeah, me too. I, and and does it not really I try well. rewatching it and it's, it's, it's the puns become painful because yeah. everything... And the Russian stereotypes. Bang, 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 bang. There's a lot of shit. It's, it didn't hold up, and I used to watch it regularly on VHS. Um, for me, if in that era, uh, License to Kill still yeah. holds up. License to Kill is really good. Um, I, the thing is, I, I, have the, I have a set of all of them, and I was going to start at the top. And I watched Dr. No, and I'm just like, wow, this is really leaden. I just found it so slow, and I just couldn't get myself inspired to work my way through. And I do think that's something that's... You know, when you talk about the pacing now, for one thing, I think it's not just the practical um, versus the CGI, but there is very much something about the pacing and the way, like, something in common with, you know, the uh, the two serious films amongst these is that, like, oh, we'll just have five minutes of exposition in a room of people talking. And that's mm. the things that happens. And I think in 2020, people tend to be a bit more, like, let's find interesting ways to dramatize exposition or like have it being done while people are giving chase or do do something to make it not just 
Yeah, other um, people sitting in a room. Goldfinger has some amazingly good dialogue yeah. sequences, and as I say, I'm I'm here because I'm the explosion and boobs guy. I, I admit I like both of those. Yeah, but when you look at Goldfinger, Goldfinger has these great one-on-ones yeah. between Bond and Goldfinger, and it's yeah. really fascinating stuff. And then you do have the action in there as well, and it's not maybe as big as some of those Bonds got, but it still really holds up. And so it probably took a little while for the wheels just to get emotion as to what a Bond film should have felt like. And then yeah. eventually it got to the stage where in the mid-70s it was, we have to have this, 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 and this. Yeah. And you, it's it's like anything. Like, you know, if you watch every Godzilla movie in a row, you'll get to the 70s and kind of go, yeah, they're not even trying on this one. There's well, was it, is it Godzilla versus Hedorah? Was that number nine? I think it could have been. It we didn't might have been. Yeah, number nine. And that's films when it either—it's either like they're slavishly stuck in a formula, or they go or off they go the cliff. Off, and, yeah, 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 yeah. And that's what Godzilla it goes off story. several cliffs. It goes off <laughs> cliff, climbs back off, and jumps again. It even yeah. builds another cliff so it can <laughs> yeah. jump the fuck off. It. I think. Um, it's a shame you haven't seen Rise of Skywalker because I talk because that was part no, of the no, impetus. Fingers of my ears, folks. Which also has was I think filmed at Pinewood in part, right? Yeah, and, and is I has think a spy plot in it. So you know, it's um, it would fit into this, and um, is also not a very good film. Um, <laughs> but um, yeah, there's elements of that that fit in as well. Anyway, so after this, they gave the series a three-year break. Yeah, huge. Um, and actually, um, Eon, well, Eon broke up. Um, so it was Broccoli and Salzman, and Salzman sold off his share to United Artists afterwards, and that's where that went. And then Guy oh, Hamilton God. never did another one, um, in part because he was a British tax exile, um, and so he got offered Superman the movie, but when they decided to shoot it in London, he couldn't do that. So he only did like two or three more films because he was living overseas, avoiding paying tax in Britain. (laughs) Um, And of course, um, Moore carried the franchise till uh, a V with a kill, give or take, you know, Sean Connery's never say never again experience. And, um, and now of course, you know, in April we'll have the next James Bond film with Daniel Craig and uh, Corey Joji Fukunaga, No Time to Die, and we'll see uh, mm-hmm. how much. Uh, watch we, the, well, I watched yeah. all the we we watched all the trailers earlier on before you got here. Doug, every Bond movie, every in a row, every yes. Bond movie trailer in a row, and I've got to say, No Time to I've Die, where's that bigger, fit in? It looks promising. He says, "Touch wood." Um, as I say, I've I've the kind of it's fallen a little way for me. I I've got no rush to run out and see it, but. It looks like it could be quite good as trailers go. Well, well it is the first American to direct one, yeah. and that, that's something that the franchise has needed for a long time, I think. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> that's debatable. <laughs> this trailer does look like it is... Um, it's more than just the greatest hits that Spectre was. Right, That was yeah. one of my issues with Spectre, was that yeah. this has worked well in a, mo- in a Bond film before, let's wedge that in somehow, and let's do that other bit, and let's do that bit there, and it's like a, a Bond jigsaw. It's, this trailer, hopefully uh, the film is as good as the trailer looks, and it will be a halfway decent movie. Hmm. Last Bond question. Mm-hmm. Female Bond, where do you stand? No problem with that. No. As I said earlier, if, if, if Peter Dinklage wants to play Peter uh, to play uh, James Bond, you'd buy a ticket. If oh yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, um, I mean, who would you who would you put though as a female Bond? I, I have no problem with anybody playing Bond because for me, Bond is just a code name. It doesn't matter. I who's thought. Right. See, I, I thought a Bond... bit further than that in the movies, though. Skyfall has yeah. really put paid to that. Yeah, yeah. I, but I my thought has always been. 
there, there's this controversy about it. And I feel like it's a fake controversy. It's like, why don't you guys just make another double O agent? You know, well, they've we done can, it. They've done that. Have they? That's yep. that's what they've done in the trailer for this one. There is. Oh, okay, a, I haven't seen this. So, so there's yeah. a double O four. That caused the internet to go mental because it was double O two, and everyone went, "Oh, they're going to replace Bomb with a woman," and all the men's rights yeah. activists and uh, keyboard warriors jumped up and down. Without actually having seen the film. Of course. So, oh, why would you have to do that? No, 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 of course not. You've got to, your, opinion. your opinions right there. But, you know, it's, as I say, I don't mind if, you know, Doctor Who is a woman now. Fantastic. Yeah. You know, I don't care if James Bond is black, white, or Chinese, if so long as the movie is good. Yeah. yeah. And it's all about it's the acting. It's all about the script. Woman, yeah, no problem with that. I guess, I mean, my only thing is, like, I feel like James Bond as the character is very specific, and I feel like you can have a double O agent and you can give all the things to it. And, and Bond has so much baggage. It's like, it's it's kind of like you could have a Spanish guy named Peter Parquero or you can have Miles Morales and make him a Spider-Man and, 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 and preserve the, the myth and, and, and take the things that work for that character but make it organic to that I think you need character. to send that first I, guy that's to Roger Corman because he will definitely make a Spanish Spider-Man movie if you give him you know, just a treatment, not even a script. Yeah. And treatment. again, I think that's why in the trailer they introduce very clearly that there is a, a, a female black double agent. Is this Naomi Harris or is this? Uh, no, 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 it's someone else. I okay. think she was in the Captain Marvel movie. Okay, I haven't seen. Um, and she she looks great, and yeah. I th- I kind of get the impression that they might just if uh, if she survives the film, which hopefully she does, <laughs> that they might build a franchise around her character. Well, if, depend- if, if there's enough in- internet uh, outrage, there'll just be a Poochie died on his way back to his <laughs> 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 Like they did with um, a character, certain character in episode nine. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So to sum up our first movie, not great. Yeah. Fine for completers, but if you're doing 30 movies, you're not going to have everyone a star. And speaking of 30 movies in a series... Oh, gosh, yes, you want to run, run into <laughs> wow. Segway! Did it! On it's, to movie two. Just, just so you know, he segwayed the shit out of it. <laughs> Thank you. Right, well... <laughs> what we were at the ninth film in a, in let a me, series let me, let me reread that for you just to get that oh right. thank you the ninth movie in a film franchise that, that is a spy film filmed in london and our franchise was carry on now i should explain <laughs> because i'm responsible for this that i have a never seen a carry on film in my life before today <laughs> and b all i knew about it is it was british and ostensibly a comedy. This is because you kicked out the English, unfortunately. We <laughs> got the carry-on movies. We got all the carry-on movies, and they played constantly. If you, it was When we had two or three channels, maybe two channels only, if you turn on on Sunday every six months, there'd be some sort of carry-on movie on because it was cheap programming and everyone thought they were funny. Can you um, explain what the carry-on I movies think are? I, I think that's your job. I think that's another segue, ladies <laughs> and gentlemen. <laughs> We're getting good at this. <laughs> so the Carry On films, they ranged, they started in 1958 and ended in 1992. There were 30... Did they put a stake through the heart just to make sure? <laughs> Hopefully they did. Well, actually, with the last one, they really did. Oh, they haven't had Carry On Brexit. They should have done that. <laughs> Carry On Brexit! 
exiting. Let's go. <laughs> so there were 30 full films, 31 if you count the compilation movie that was made in about 1976 or somewhere around there. It was there. a TV series as well, wasn't it? There was also a TV series, so it's that, that bugger kept on going and going and going. <laughs> All of those 30 films were directed by Gerald Thomas. He also had time to direct some other films. God knows how. And the, the storyline for a carry-on film is very simple, and it is... That it, um, and they repeated this throughout the entire 30 films. It is that there's a small group of newcomers to a job. They make comic mistakes, but come together to succeed in the end. Now, we, who having just seen Carry On Spine, <laughs> may not think they succeeded in any way. <laughs> but that's the formula. Yes. And it's a rinse and repeat. So the, the films are usually full of innuendo or innuendo. The, they're either tongue-in-cheek homage to various genres, um, such as there's Carry On Cowboy, there's Carry On Cleo. What's Cleo? Cleo Cleopatra. Oh. Carry On Carry On Spying. Carry On Screaming. Carry On Screaming, which is a horror. Yes, and and then there is... uh, (laughs) Also, they would send up British customs and institutions, such as Carry On Cabbie, Carry On Sergeant, Carry On Nurse, Carry On Matron. Uh, carry on at your convenience, carry on camping, etc., etc., etc. And it's infinitum. Exactly. So they, they started with um, Carry On Sergeant in 1958, and they carried on <laughs> uh, to uh, Nurse, Teacher, Constable, Regardless, Cruising, Cabbie, and Jack. And then from Carry On Spying, they went on to Carry On Cleo, which was the first colour film in the series. And arguably, and very much it would be an argument, that it was the, the best one. I actually rewatched that last year as part of, you know, I was attempting to do a, a movie a day for a full year and ended up with 427. Awesome. Uh, I probably need a life at some stage. Uh, and so, no, <laughs> not neglect my kid. He but... does. He, he really does. He needs a lot. Really does, but... Your kid gets, needs to play Minecraft, exactly, so you have to yeah. stay out of his way. Exactly. You know, I've got to keep out of his way. Carry on clear, I got some genuine laughs out of I thought it was, it's still, bits of it held up, some of it was still cringe comedy, but it was, it had a legitimately witty script. And and when we say some genuine laughs, we should make it clear that there were no genuine laughs between the three of us. There was in a the... slight... Hmm. From me at one stage. And there was about 90 seconds of that sort of desperate energy of like when you realize you've entered a completely (laughs) like humor free zone that has gotten so terrible. Yes, there Uh, was a moment we hit the wall and just started laughing at the the terribleness of it all. Exactly. It was nothing they said or did. It just, we looked at each other and just went, why are we doing this? Yeah. Uh, um, I, I wrote it down. Comedy wall slam was how I described <laughs> it. Because we literally just it was it went into anti comedy. The analogy that I thought of, and I've never actually seen these movies, so I don't know exactly who I'm being unfair to, but there's the um you know, the Freeburg Seltzer disaster movie and epic movie and vampires suck and um and there's quite a few quote you know there's james bond references in this there's third man references in this there's probably there's casablanca references Mm -hmm. there's for some reason Maltese falcon yeah yeah there's all all sorts of things that we're probably also not getting because we we weren't there in 1964 and so those bits of pop culture have most likely receded and that is the joke or something. I guess that's what's supposed to be. And it's the telegraph humor because those epic movies and things, they, they, 
They do the opposite, where they tell you the joke and then go, by the way, here's why it's funny. Uh, look, Paris Hilton. Ah, Paris Hilton's funny. This one would start you off with a joke from about, you know, 10 or 20 metres away and then run you towards it going, get ready for the joke! And here's the joke. And at that stage, you wouldn't enjoy it because, I mean, jokes don't need to be explained before oh, you tell them. It, it just proves that all jokes can be improved by explaining the punchline. <laughs> I, I want comedy my comedy music. explained to me. I can't cope. I can't comprehend all the nuances you need to explain the punchline <laughs> in excruciating <laughs> detail direct to camera sometimes with the little <laughs> winks and literal winks of the camera uh, okay. yeah. can we can we Sorry, talk I'm about having... <laughs> so, so my understanding i don't know is it like monty python's flying circus where carry on's the name of the troop or is it just it's, kind of it? Just these films happen I to have those actors. It just happen from that film yeah. because "carry on, sergeant" is an expression in the U.S. Army and yeah. U.S. in the English Army. "Carry on, sergeant," and that just became "carry on, sergeant." And then they just became a troop of actors who got used over films. and over again. And yeah. there was Kenneth Williams, who I know that you've taken an instant dislike to. <laughs> dislike is far too kind. Of a word. <laughs> He's um, his best enjoyed. Uh, you can't see the gesture I'm making, but. Your little fingers are up in the air. Enjoyed in smaller doses than we had today. He was the lead of this one. He's normally not him and and Charles Hawtrey. Hawtrey. Yeah, those two normally are just a, a kind of a little camp double act that pops in and out of the movies on their own storyline. And this time, he was the main character. And yeah, it's it's it it's a little goes a long way with Kenneth. Oh yes, <laughs> I, I I turned to uh, my. Companions, uh, four seconds into his first appearance, I said, "This, this is the main character of the movie, isn't it?" Now, is is he supposed to be read as gay, or is that just a weird '60s yes. English kind of? Well, he is gay, thing. but but um, like, but his character was not because he kept. Took very rarely did he play gay in the in the movies themselves because the his character I mean, has no sexuality or really chemistry with other people. Well, at the time, homosexuality right. was still illegal in Britain. Yeah, so, so I mean that's you couldn't hit, every time yeah, you couldn't yeah. actually have him being overtly painted as gay. When of course everyone knew, right? But you couldn't really say that on screen. That's 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 a big no 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 no. Yet Charles uh, Charles Hawtrey's character seemed to come across as a lot more overtly camp than. Mm. Uh, than the, the Always really did seem to. Kind of Always did yeah. seem to, yeah. And both, is, uh, is that the nut bond? Yes, like, yeah, that's okay. the uh, yeah. Charlie Bind. Uh, yeah. And they were apparently going to call him James Bind, and I read this in a little trivia note halfway through mm-hmm. because I was bored. Uh, <laughs> and uh, apparently the uh, makers of James Bond threatened to sue them, mm-hmm. so they had to change the name. So it, it should have been a direct James Bond parody had to pull back. What it should have been was a bigger threat. But, uh... <laughs> just, uh. just don't, don't do the whole movie. <laughs> I, I will say that, like, if we're digging for anything positive to say about the oh, film... Oh, let's dig. Let's, let's try. Uh, uh, yeah. it's, it's, we're hitting ground real quick. <laughs> um, I feel like the last third of it, there was one moment where I thought, oh, that's mildly clever, where they trap the guard in the tunnel that they've dug into their own cell. Yeah. Like, that's mildly clever. A, a very kind of almost uh, top secret type gag. Yeah. There's you know, some accidental comedy in there. Yeah. yeah. But, I mean, most of it is prop humor. There's a little Parallax view thing going on, or Clockwork Orange kind of thing with her watching the brainwashing thing that's pretty primitive, but it's like... They tried a little bit, um, and there's just a little bit of design there that's above and beyond, like, 
Um, we'll just go down to the prop room and see what we have. Hey, there's a bed of nails. We'll put that out. We're not in India. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. It'll, it's... No one in England's going to know. Yeah. Gonna... And, of course, the, the female lead was Barbara Windsor, wasn't it? Yes. Barbara her Windsor first was film, first film. She did well, her first carry a on. ton of these carry-ons. And I've got to say, I, I can't hate her performance. I mean, what was, what was the name? What was her character's oh, name? Oh, God. Um, um, Honeybutt? Honeybutt. It was Honeybutt, yes. It was, her name was Miss Honeybutt. And... I mean that's a very Bondian thing, but yeah. and it should have been right up there. It should have been like, okay, this is going to be awful. But she's so likable in the role. Yeah, I mean she, she's she's she got, plays the same roles in all in all the roles. She and her um, male counterpart, who you know has the horrible drag thing. It's like the Bernard two of them Cribbins. are actually sort of watchable. Bernard Cribbins. Is, um, they're is, not funny, but they're not uh, unfunny. If that you know, <laughs> yeah, it's just like they're they're doing they're doing what what they can and. They're not actively making me hate the film. They're no. just kind of stuck in a horrible scenario that they can't get themselves out of, as opposed to making it worse. <laughs> and Barbara Windsor went on and is still alive, and she's gone on for a very long career and has had um, done something like thirteen hundred or thirteen thousand episodes of EastEnder, or um, uh, maybe a crazy. Um, um, Amount. But yeah, but as I say, she, she's just she's she she, such well. a likable character in that movie. I mean, she's not funny because none of them are. There's, yeah. you know, and she's put in there to you know to be the, the kind of the giggly blonde. But she's got she, at least she's got she's got a photographic memory, including yes, yeah. every time she blinks her eyes to take a photograph and mentally we get camera sound effects because comedy needs to be explained. Yes, <laughs> apparently she gets to do the belly dance number, um, which tied it in really nicely with 1,562 episodes. Good jump in there. Uh, went to take a breath. <laughs> are EastEnders half hours or hours? Uh, they uh, half hours, but I think they st- they did do hour formats as well. Okay. I'm just wondering how, how long completists would need to view all of them. <laughs> yeah. And not. More time than you have left, I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> Even by our standards, it's a bad use of your time. <laughs> Do something else. <laughs> there are people in this room who've watched Carry On Spying multiple times. Yes. Um, Learn to knit. I forgot to mention the one line I I'm did laugh, to, which is um, <laughs> when... Um, I thought it was kind of cool that there, you know, there, there was uh, a fairly strong female character that didn't really... I guess there is one scene where she needs to be female, but um, for the most part, like, she seemed to be kind of dominant in that role of controlling things where she didn't have to. But she's, when the our heroes are being tortured, she says, this is horrible. How can you let it go on? Yeah. <laughs> that, and that I, was our big laugh. That because was, I, I felt think you. we were all thinking about the same thing. They, <laughs> the movie spoke for us. This is horrible. How can we let it go on? We have to. We're going to talk about it soon. The thing is, like, we and we watch a lot of bad movies. Yeah. Usually but, by choice. Yeah. Yeah, but... Here's another one. The thing is, there's something unique about bad comedy is that there's just no, like... There's no there release. Be, there's no escape yeah. from bad yeah. comedy. Like, a bad action, it's like, sometimes you can be like, oh, this is a badly made movie, but the action's kind of good. Or it's like, the action's really bad, and so that's kind of funny because funny, they're yeah. trying and it doesn't work, but it's entertaining that it doesn't work because uh, there's there's just so, something about the spirit of it. Yeah. But committed bad comedy, bad comedy is just a... Many years ago, a I was challenged to watch and review... Mr. Magoo, starring Leslie Nielsen. And that had one laugh in that entire movie. And I had to watch it twice because I was reviewing it. And 
I have to agree with you 100%. Bad comedy is is just, it's you can every time they say a line and you can just hear the clang of the punchline hitting the floor yeah. and no one's going to laugh. I mean, I've, I've sat in a movie theater by myself and watched Leslie Nielsen and Spy Hard, which yeah. has got many sections which are very, very bad and there's no comedy in it. And there's some great comedy in there as well. And I'm sitting there going, yeah, I, I hmm. probably should be out here. I probably should. This movie theater is empty for a reason. <laughs> you could I, be doing something better yeah. with your life. There was, yes. I mean, you know, after the Weird Al, the Weird Al Yankovic song at the start. <laughs> it's it probably, yeah, the Weird Al Yankovic song at the start peaked the comedy. That's fantastic right. comedy. Great Bonds takeoff, getting back to Bonds. And after that, about 45 minutes into it, I'm just like, Maybe I should just go tell that usher. You can just tidy up now. And go yeah. I stuck it out. I'm, I'm not a quitter. We're so lucky there weren't eight previous Spy Hard movies. <laughs> so we... Ooh, Spy Hard Nine. This time it's really personal. <laughs> we will have to do films that have traumatized us or something at some point. Oh, I think we're already doing that. <laughs> at a previous point, not while we were watching. <laughs> Yeah, but as I say, the, the, the whole English sensibility is what I'm interested in your take on this one, because English humour and American humour oh, yeah. has always been very different. And I mean, the English humour you can tell here, a lot of double entendres, a lot of smutty jokes that are quite obvious, but they try and couch into it. Like, the thing yeah. is, like, there's always this kind of, oh, British humour's so elevated, you know, Ricky Gervais in The Office and Monty Python and, you know, and Chris Moore. And, you know, you get quite a lot of people who are quite snobby about I this, and, and I, I want to make all of them watch the Carry On. <laughs> I feel I feel like it's a lot of things. It's like people will talk about French movies, like oh, they're so intellectual and brilliant. You know, it's like you've only seen the shit that makes it over here. You haven't seen all the like really bad broad comedy that's in the. It's theaters. about evolution. Yeah. You've yeah. got to work your way up to stuff. It's uh, the Carry On. We had to get through that type of comedy to. Uh, Get, then get through the seventies, which was even worse style yeah, of comedy. Was, yeah. To to slowly oh, get the more. Sophisticated. Pythons were going on in the seventies. Pythons and, were, and, and Pine Hearts and Coronets, yeah. and you know, there's True. and I mean, there is definitely um, and even um, some of the Powell and Pressburger stuff from the forties has some hilarious it's stuff just, in it. You know, it's um, just the carry on style of humor. That kind yeah. of entendre, I, it, double entendre, was very popular, and it was a yeah. very uh, that brand of um, casual sexism and racism that was a very popular style throughout mm. the 60s and the 70s. Yeah, I, I think I think probably the nicest thing to say is that I think it's always an oversimplification to kind of like talk about, oh, this is, you know, American comics will make you laugh like this, <laughs> and British comics make you laugh like, hey, you got nice tits, governor. Um, and <laughs> make me laugh. Yeah. Well, there you go. All the governors um, have nice tits. <laughs> heard it here. <laughs> we, we strive to be informative here. Exactly. So specific. Classy. Classy um, has balls. <laughs> oh, dear. Classy um, balls. <laughs> Yeah, I, 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 I run into this a lot because I have a British wife and I'll get shown things by her and sometimes her mother tried to make me watch the History Boys and after about a half hour of just staring at it in uncertain agony as opposed to what I was supposed to be experiencing from it, um, I finally had the... <laughs> I was relieved of having to sit through the whole thing. But, um, <laughs> but you know, I watched Kind Hearts and Cornets with her dad and it's oh. like, oh, that's terrific, mm -hmm. you know? And... Um, and yeah, and even things like, I mean, there's things that crossed over at the time, but there's also things like, you know, Brass Eye and things like that that haven't really made it into 
America directly, but Chris Morris, you know, with Four Lions made it mm. there in other ways. And I feel like that sensibility has sort of taken a backdoor into lots of things to the point where it's a very familiar comedy to Americans. And obviously Ricky Gervais hosting the Oscars, it's like he's translate or not the Oscars, the Golden Globes. Um, but yeah, he's translated. And so I don't think it's I think there's a bigger divide between funny and not funny than yeah, British and exactly. American. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it, 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 it is too simple. Comedy, yeah. You know? and, and But also, there, you know, it is like comedy is what it is. People either laugh or they don't. And, you know, there's plenty of films that I find completely unfunny that have grossed hundreds of millions of dollars. Um, I, what are the, the Italian uh, duo... Um, from the 70s. Oh, uh, Bud, Bud Spencer, Spencer and Terrence Hill. Yeah, I, tr- I tried Massive watching films. one of those. And... Massive films oh. over here. But the difference is, once again, like the Carry On films, we grew up we grew up with them here in New Zealand. They were on television all the time. They were shown at my primary school on movie nights. Yep. It was those, just, but yeah. I haven't gone back to visit... But I mean, I loved Stripes when I was a kid, and I don't know if you've watched it recently, but yeesh, it's not like... I have not. No, no. You're (laughs) you're not going to be enveloped with a wave of good time laughs and childhood nostalgia, I'll tell you that. Sometimes don't go back and try Meet Your Heroes again, because you're going to be disappointed. We we tried one time Super Fuzz, I think we tried watching... I loved Super Fuzz, is it not... We oh, lasted about 25 minutes. We don't usually walk away from a film. Very rarely do we vote off a movie. Uh, and it has to be... Santa with the muscles. Person. Yeah, Santa with muscles we did. I mean, when six people just go, can we turn this off? You turn it off. Yeah, it We're was, going it back bad. about 10 or 11 years. <laughs> exactly, yeah, but we, it still has scars from that movie. Boring, <laughs> boring, stupid movie. Thank you, yes. Hulk Hogan. Ah, oh, um... Speaking of boring, boring, boring movies. <laughs> Good segue. Uh, oh, we got a treat for you tonight. Oh, we got to roll into our final movie. There. So our original pitch, I should say, was going to be um, the Andy Sedaris film Enemy Gold because he kind of claims all his films that involve top secret agents who wear bikinis and stuff are a series. Which is all of them. Um, but... Uh, there was some contention as to whether that was really accurate. Yeah. And then at the last minute, uh, we had a uh, tre- treasure. Is that the right word? <laughs> we have a contender. Let's put yeah, it that yeah, way. A it was one that fitted the, the ludicrously specific theme that we had. Yeah. And it was... Well, you might as well say the title, Darren, because you found it. <laughs> I get the blame. Yes. It was The Return of Mr. Moto. So, Mr. Moto was a... Uh, from the 1930s, it started off as a series of novels by Jean-P. Marquand. Uh, he it was created for the Saturday Evening Post as a replacement for Charlie Chan after Charlie Chan's creator died. And they wanted a new spy, uh, Asian spy, to uh, have put in there and serialise. Uh, they started making movies pretty much straight away, 1935 through 1939, uh, starring that, of course, classic Japanese actor Peter Laurier, uh, you hung- might remember as the child molester from M. Yes, a um, uh, Hungarian-born actor, uh, and went and had a quick look at one of the like the very first one, and you had a look at one of them as well, didn't you, Darren? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I did. And not quite as offensive as you think for the thirties, um, possibly because he does not try to regularly. And the first one I watched anyway, the, he does not try to overly do the Japanese accent. Which is always the most cringeworthy part of it. Do they do anything with him with makeup or anything like that? It is, but it's it's a little more subtle than I was expecting. Right. Um, and it's not basically, no, it's not Mickey Rooney. <laughs> it's, it's not, not Breakfast at Tiffany's. Um, it's just you know they they put the glasses on him, 
And apparently in the novels, he actually spoke perfectly good English. Okay. So As they, he does in as the he films. As he does in the films, and he really does in the one we watched today. Because after the movies uh, finished in 1939, there was a radio show for one year in 1951, uh, where because of 1951, he fought communists, because that's what you did in 1951, and occasionally some other spy-related things as well. And then in 1965, 26 years after the last movie, it was rebooted with the movie we saw today, starring the most Japanese actor of 1965. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) Henry Silver, they can't bring themselves to say it. Henry Silver, a Brooklyn-born, of Italian descent, six-foot-two American, playing... (laughs) A Japanese, possibly Chinese, possibly neither of those. <laughs> no accent until he actually dresses up as a stereotyped Japanese businessman late in the film. And I say late in the film, it was 71 minutes long, and it felt really late in the film. It mm. felt longer than that. Uh, and he just basically plays the whole part like a Brooklyn-born Italian-American. It was with it's no odd. personality. No personality, as you say. His what was it? You said his eyebrows could. Oh never yeah. Move. So if Roger I- Roger Moore only acts with his eyebrows, like <laughs> Henry Silva literally cannot move his eyebrow. <laughs> you know, it's like he's the anti Bond. Yeah. Yeah, the rest expression. of his face had trouble as yeah. well. <laughs> I was really surprised that this turned out to be the least racist of the movies we watched. Well, actually, yeah. I mean that um, what two, but two not the least sexist as it turned out. No. No. no, that that uh, that that did come back. So we, we thought this would be the, the nonsense. <laughs> Was a nice no, it's through still line probably the least sexist. Well, okay. <laughs> it, it's the only one that doesn't have a, like, insulting name for a woman. <laughs> true. <laughs> That's true. Um, but there is, yeah, of course there is. But it is, it is almost, it's quite dislocating to have this guy that, you know, doesn't really look Japanese and everybody treats him like that. They keep calling him the Oriental... They, they drop a Chinese racial slur a couple of times. Yeah, they, yes. And Mr. Moto was Japanese in the books... And then he dresses up as a Japanese businessman, and it's it's it, yeah, it's, it's, a, it's it's very strange, and it's it's almost strange because as a document of the '60s, you expect it to be a little more racist mm. in how it does it, and it's almost like are they are they woke or are they just lazy? Yeah, they just didn't write it. I mean, it's 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 obviously a very <laughs> wow. <laughs> But it's, it's also it's a pretty low budget production and unexpectedly for having Henry Silver in the role shot in England, which is is one of these things because well you know, he was Henry probably Silver, on his way to Italy oh, probably yeah <laughs> he did spend an awful lot of time in Italy and that's where he really got his his, his big yeah. name was in Italy appearing in a lot of Italian cop movies of a lot of what we have watched and he's always fantastic in those yeah he just you know he just plays Ill Henry Silver and killer but, killers yeah yeah but I mean you can play of you know Henry Silver and in those movies and you're great. This movie, not so much. And it's it's very... It almost feels stagey. It almost feels like we're watching a play that occasionally gets out onto the road. And you know it's in England because it's snowing and it looks damp and it's... But... It's funny because it starts really... I mean, it literally starts with a bang, right? There's an explosion in an oh. oil field and the stock credits footage. come up. <laughs> and, um, yeah, I mean, so stock footage, but at least it's stock footage of something interesting. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and then you have a quick discussion and then a plane flies away, there's a quick discussion. And then there's this kind of film noir pursuit down some streets and a shootout. And, you know, I mean, it's... Long it's, pursuit. Well, it's I mean, a that, long pursuit. Long yeah. pursuit. I mean, look... I didn't go silver is what I wrote down. So. <laughs> <laughs> but I, I still feel like you know it's like there's some nice camera angles there's some nice lighting and i might just be a sucker fil- film noir type stuff but i can watch people 
walking around when people are pursuing them with guns mm-hmm. and there's a, yeah. some music playing and it's shadowy and it's Henry Silva who's, you know, despite his lack of, complete lack of movement in his face, is <laughs> somehow still quite watchable. Yeah, but um, not tension-filled. It was sort of, you could cut the tension with the spoon. It was... Uh, or a sport, sport, I was a bit more with it for the first... 10 minutes okay I, I think then it then it quickly devolves into the all too common spy problem of people talking in a room for five minutes oh, cut to another people easy. talking in another room for five minutes and yeah there was and the, the, the plot was i mean it was i i, I quite like the fact that the plot was was almost relevant today because it was about oil control yeah. it was about tension in iran or Persia as it was at the time so yeah it was kind of well, well that brought that up but yeah. it, it wasn't much of a plot to hang even 71 minutes of movie on. Mm. It felt like they really didn't think it through. They just had the rights to this character, maybe wanted to get a series going again, and it just it just didn't really work for me. As I say, felt, if, if, when it got in the interior scenes, and we got to see a lot of interior sets of Pinewood, it was like, well, we're watching a play now. We're watching people yeah. in one room with a single camera talking, and eventually we'll grind back to the plot. And... Never really happened, really. <laughs> <laughs> I like the um, I like it's a, it's a bit low rent, but I like the scene at the end where he's um, on the microphone and sort of ducking around the bits. And this, I mean, I may be a bit Stockholm syndrome with this film. I, I just, <laughs> I'm like, desperately looking for something. Thank you for love. not being carry on spying. You know? <laughs> I love um, you. Um, but uh, but it's curious because I mean, it's also like this is its ninth film in this series. But did, have, with you having watched a previous one. Did that inform it in any way for you at all? Well, unfortunately not, because the it's seeing how good Peter Laurie was in um, as Mister Moto. So he doesn't put on hardly any kind of accent except when he plays a businessman, exactly like Henry Silver does. Right. Um, but it's there's actually a lot more action. It's um, Peter Laurie is kind of kick-ass. He does really some, judo expert. R- yeah, he does some real great but action no, not, scenes. Not Peter Laurie. He goes to do the first bit of the judo move, and you cut to Stalin. Well, but, but it's still yeah. it's still a lot of fun, and it's actually it's seen as the spotlights come back to me. I did want to <laughs> mention there's a strange scene in the movie that. Uh, at the beginning of the film, there is a um, there is a, an imposter playing Mr. Moto, and he gets killed, and we discover that that's uh, Mr. Moto put him in in there. He he was working with Mr. Moto, posing as Mr. Moto, so Mr. Moto could. And Mr. Moto, we're saying his name because we don't know his first name. He didn't have I-A. I-A. He has initials. His initials are on there, and that is ah. from the book. The book yeah. apparently only said IA, and apparently some characters in the book speculate that that's just an alias because Yamoto, as in Yakamoto. It's right. So it's, yeah, it's never brought up in the book. The right. judo expert thing is not in the books, apparently. That was made up for the initial movies. Uh, which is why literally five minutes of the first movie, which is the one I looked at, uh, he's, he's flinging a guy around with judo. And he even makes friends with a guy by doing judo. He gets invited into a cabin on a liner and some drunk rich guys uh, uh, start trying to get him to drink and he judo flips one guy and he grabs the other guy who's the son of the mm-hmm. liner's owner uh, and judo flips him on the bed and he bounces up and goes, hey, that's great, <laughs> we're friends now. Literally says, we're yeah. friends now. And 
Betty and gets killed. Well, the reason the reason I was mentioning <laughs> this is that the the guy playing the the faux Mister Moto is Japanese, right? Okay, okay, okay. which uh, which immediately shows up how un-Japanese <laughs> Peter Lorre is. <laughs> And yeah. the fact that all these people were so easily mistook the the faux moto for the real moto. On the upside, though, he is the right height. Yes, because he's. I mean, and he'd be he's about tiny. He's five yes. foot. Five yeah. foot. Nothing. So, five foot. Just, yeah, five foot bugger all basically, yeah. as opposed to. Harry Silva is literally the tallest person in the in, room in the when scene. he goes yeah. into a, yeah. a scene, and any you know, Every it's like. Time. It, they didn't think to be like, oh, maybe we'll cast six foot seven actors in order to get around. No. <laughs> or they didn't think maybe we'll cast a Japanese person who oh, crazy. And <laughs> um, yeah, it's a it's a funny uh, funny old movie that doesn't really uh, <laughs> doesn't actually warrant a lot of talk about it. To it's, be honest, it's I I think I wrote down this is a terrible pilot for Dallas because it was all about, <laughs> it was all about oil and there was a lot of talking and yeah. occasionally someone would get killed. It's it's really it was a fairly flat. Oh, and on record, uh, I did spot the villain the ve- at the very second he walked yeah. into the room. We yes, we yes. can attest that it was something like point eight seconds from the time he walked <laughs> in. <laughs> oh, uh, there we go. I think, I think technically you said he was Secret a double agent. agent. Double yes, and in fact, agent. he was an imposter. Yeah. yeah. Um. So slightly different. Slightly. Um. But close enough for <laughs> this. Now, now one um closing thought I had had would be well we haven't talked about some of the. Um, parallels, yeah, crossovers. First of all, so for instance, in both this film and uh, Man with the Golden Gun, we cut to uh, a Arabic themed location with a close up on the belly button. Mash up the belly button, and and all three of them have belly dancing. All three have belly dancing scenes. I would not expect a belly dancing scene in Carry On Spying, but I was expecting something funny. That's England. (laughs) Maybe, maybe that is the the UK. Influence. I mean, it was the 60s, belly dancing, maybe belly dancing was big 60s, in 64, 65, and, and Bond took a little while to catch up. <laughs> yeah, so He's a bit old-fashioned, that fella. English people dressed as Arabs in all of these movies. Each movie had, you know, some, some extras and, and, you know, that were quite obviously not Arabic. We had the overlapping cast. Yeah, the um, crossover cast, actor, oh, crossover yes. Cast, one yeah, crossover actor, and... Um, you're pointing at me as if you think I know well, his cons- name. Well, consulting IMDb here. Consulting the IMDb. Uh, a gunmaker in the Man with the Golden Gun was also Wasim, one of Wasim in uh, the Return of, of Mr. Mr. Moto. Moto. Yes. I'm just going to quickly bring up his name and who's a face I have seen before. And while you do that, I'll mention that we also have a funny crossover in the cast, which is that Ian Fleming, <laughs> of all people, is in the Return of Mr. Moto. Don't get your hopes up. It's not the same Ian Fleming. <laughs> it's an Australian <laughs> actor. An Australian but that was pretty James funny. Bond, mate. Yeah. <laughs> yeah kiss, that she- kiss that Sheila and then shoot that prick in the face. <laughs> there we go. I've got his name. Marnie Maitland was his name. A distinctive character actor born in Calcutta and educated in Cambridge. Uh, and he seemed to have a pretty deep filmography. Born 1914, and it does not have a date of death for him. So, um, boy, he's going well. <laughs> <laughs> Update your page, pal. He did his last film in 1990. Okay. 162 so. movies. So, yeah, and I'd spot him in a couple of things. Uh, Trailer of the Pink Panther back in 82. He's been did a ton of different uh, movies and TV series. Return of the Saint, so we've got to hang out... Uh, 
Roger uh, Moore. With Roger Moore again. Oh, no, Return of the Saint. Oh, Return Don't of see an Ogilvy. Oh, yeah, there we go. You're the one oh. that knows. You know all the castles. So. <laughs> You'll find this eventually, Darren. If, if you point to someone on screen and go, who's that? You get the IMDb page <laughs> verbally. It's amazing. I go, is that guy again? Oh, Roger Moore. Cool. You still haven't paid off our set, your setup from the beginning about the cigarettes, by the way. Oh, the cigarettes, yes. The cigarettes. That oh, the, yes. That was the link. Nice yes. Oh, well, thank you for, for doing the whole remembery thing. It's... <laughs> <laughs> Exotic, yeah. I know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so there were um, things, stu- there were messages stuffed in cigarettes in both Carry On Spying and the in- the Return of Mr. Moto. Return of Mr. Moto, the oh. exciting, exciting return of Mr. Moto. I can see that because I remember having the Osborne Book of Spying when I was from the 1980s, which told you all about how to be a spy and it showed you how to do drops and message drops and things like that. And I'm pretty sure in a kid's book it had stick it inside a cigarette, which it was. Probably an <laughs> actual fact. He means stick a message. Stick a message. Stick, a it, stick, yeah, stick the spy inside there. <laughs> <laughs> Mr. Bond, I've been in trouble. Where the fuck are you? Oh, there we are. Uh, and on that note, <laughs> um, my my final thought was if you had any incredibly specific pairings you would make with other films, and because in this film begins with an oil fire that doesn't stop, I was reminded, and this is my last-minute attempt to shove it into more highbrow territory <laughs> of Werner Herzog's Lessons of Darkness, which was filmed at the fires of Kuwait, which um, oh, wow. were famously like when the um, uh, Saddam Hussein set fire to all the, uh, or not personally, obviously, but, you know, um, all the oil fields as they were leaving. And so they had these unquenchable fires. And so he went and shot this um, film there that's kind of a documentary, kind of a recontextualization that makes it out to be a science fiction film with, through his Werner herzog narration. <laughs> Who are these aliens coming to us in these suits and what are they trying to say as the flames burn behind them? They're just firefighters, dude. <laughs> <laughs> but, um, you know, if, if, if you could do worse, I guess. <laughs> um, I'm thinking 1981, Peter Usnoff in uh, Charlie Chan and the Curse of the Dragon oh, you Queen. bastard! Sorry! <laughs> we didn't discuss this beforehand and I took that, so we'll, we'll call this a joint one, because that's Peter Usnoff playing a Chinese detective. And if you can think of any person not a Chinese detective, it's Peter Ustinov. Yes, I know he went through a whole phase. Peter went through a whole phase of playing things he shouldn't. Anybody yes. but Peter Ustinov. I mean, he was. I mean, he was Hercule Poirot. Like how many times? Three or four times. Too many. Too many yeah, times. Uh, seven. Six, seven. Six or seven. Six yeah. or seven, yeah. please. And then yeah, Charlie Chan, and a movie in 1981. That's kind of. Could we have thought about that? <laughs> Could we have not greenlit that one? I, I remember, as I said earlier, Scarlett Johansson was born at the wrong time. <laughs> <laughs> Scarlett Johansson is Charlie Chan. No. Is that, was that going to be yours as well? Yes. Oh, my gosh. Oh, yeah, okay. Maybe we've got to discuss these things before. But it's, <laughs> yeah. it's, yeah, it's funnier that way. Okay. <laughs> Great. Well, unless you guys have anything else, thanks for listening to the pilot episode. And uh, If you made it through to the end, yeah, we, we do appreciate it. <laughs> you, you could be watching a movie in this time, seriously. <laughs> yeah. All the other things you could do. Yes, yes, there's three we've told you not to watch and we hope you listen to us. Next week, uh, the thing will be three movies we wanted to watch. <laughs> Interesting theory. Let's see if we can stick to it. Take care. Thank you. Bye-bye.